What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, we got a we got a spicy one today. I'm pretty excited for this. What we're doing today is our first, hopefully, throwback episode. First, as in I hope there's more, not that I hope is the first one, because we haven't done this yet. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it is. I hope it's the first one. <laughs> so, basically, what we're doing, when we first started this show... We were, one, bad at it, and two, we would do two topics a week, and we kind of just jammed it all in the same hour. So we decided that we were going to go back to all the old questions that we've done on the show and be like, which one of these do we want to take another stab at now that we are older, wiser, and have a little bit of more experience and time to get in, kind of into the thick of it? They're very specific questions that we have regrets on. Yeah, also, <laughs> which, where, where are our big regrets? And, can we, and let's let's give ourselves some salvation here. Yeah. So we each picked a different question that we are going to redeem ourselves on, and I don't think there's much else to say. I think I'm just going to go ahead and start with the first one. So the one I went back and revisited was in episode 17, and the question of, what if you could control the weather? So the the first time we did this one, I I felt it definitely felt a bit lost, where we kind of all just were like, hmm, this feels like you should be able to do a lot here, and we couldn't hit some good, absurd ways to handle it. Like, Chris, I know you covered, you ended up covering, like, cloud art, where you could take all the different clouds and put them in different shapes. Ben, you talked about just making it sunny on people's weddings and raining on baseball games you didn't like. Yes. <laughs> was, was, was effectively where you were at. Yes, I did. And I kind of went off the, you know, on the engineering side and took, like, a deep dive into harnessing energy from lightning, which I actually liked. Like, I listened back to it. I kind of liked that answer. But I kind of hand-waved a pretty, a pretty big part of it, um, which is actually turning all the energy into a lightning strike into, you know, power. Because there's, like, you know, you go into the physics of it, and there's, you know, the instantaneous energy lightning bolt is on the scale of, like, an atomic bomb, and it's all this crazy stuff, and you're like, it's going to power the world, it's going to be perfect. But really, practically, there's no way to capture that effectively. I don't know how you would get a capacitor battery that would be able to suck up all that lightning. So... I thought I'd hop back into the energy game with a fresh set of eyes to see if I could figure that problem out. But it turns out I missed another potential energy candidate that's, you know, from the weather. And what ended up going into tornadoes. You didn't cover wind at all in the in the other one? Nope. Huh. <laughs> I specifically started my answer with, I'm going to ignore all the other types of weather and just talk about lightning. <laughs> <laughs> So did really none of us really talk about, like, wind at all? Because that was pretty much just rain. I talked about clouds. You talked about clouds. I mean, we did not really hit all the possible <laughs> aspects of this question now, did we? Nope. So I'm going to go start talking about uh, tornadoes, and I'm going to start with all the tornado facts, and then we're going to go into how I turn them into energy. So tornadoes get classified on what's called the Fujita scale. Well, it's now the enhanced Fujita scale, but I'm going to shorten it. Um, and they get basically get ratings, for, ratings from F0 to F5, depending on how intense they are. So about 75% of tornadoes are F0 to F1, 
which means they have wind speeds between 73 and 110 miles per hour, which is actually not that fast. These, these typically don't do too much damage. Um, these are ones that are like ripping off a couple shingles off the roof and like knocking down some tree branches. There's still a risk for like motorhomes and cars. Like they can still toss around a motorhome like on the higher side. Generally, not too much happens and they kind of fade quickly. F2s are a bit nastier, make up about 18% of tornadoes, and this is going up to 135. This is where they can start actually beating, you know, beating up on actual houses, you know. If you're in the middle of it, it can, like, take off your roof and start throwing around some debris. But it's not until F3 where things start to get actually dangerous. So these are the ones that wins up to 165. This is about 6% of the tornadoes that, that occur. Um, and these are ones that can destroy even, like, a well-built home. And... I mentioned they get dangerous. This is, in fact, this category of tornado, even though it's only 6% of tornadoes, is responsible for 75% of tornado deaths. So this is these are the nasty ones. But of course, we're only at a 3 out of 5. F4 tornadoes have winds of up to 200 miles an hour. Um, and this is, this is where they hit the point where the damage is almost comical. Luckily, only 1% of tornadoes are, you know, F4. And F4 tornadoes are doing things like debarking trees, which to me sounds even worse than just the other thing they do, which is, you know, pick them up and deroute them and fling them around. <laughs> Somehow the wind being strong enough to rip the bark off is like creepy to me. It's it's more impressive. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's in terms of like, you know, a person, it's, you know, removal of the skin, which is <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I guess that might be why. <laughs> yeah, that feels much worse. <laughs> yeah, th- this, is, this is the one like picking your car up and just leaving, you know, a big flat path behind it that just looks really weird from the helicopter photos. And of course, lastly... There's F5. Uh, if you've been counting along and uh, adding up all those percentages of how often all these tornadoes occur, uh, you notice I already hit 100%, um, which makes sense because F5 tornadoes make up only 0.1% of all tornadoes. Uh, these are the ones they have winds in excess of 200 miles an hour. No one really knows how fast they go past it. It's kind of a mystery about exactly how fast the tornadoes go. In fact, one of the differences between the Fujita scale and the enhanced Fujita scale is that the enhanced Fujita scale is like, hey, all those wind speeds you were using are, are, are a bit crazy from before. We're gonna we're gonna lower them slightly, but they've had um, they picked up readings of over 300 miles an hour before in these tornadoes. And I was gonna kind of list a couple things to do, but I don't think I can put it better as Wikipedia puts it. So I'm just gonna quote them. An F5 tornado pulls well-built, well-anchored homes off their foundations and into the air before obliterating them, flinging the wreckage for miles and sweeping the foundation clean. Large steel reinforced structures such as schools are completely leveled. Tornadoes of this intensity tend to shred and scour low-lying grass and vegetation from the ground. Very little recognizable structural debris is left generated by an F5 damage, with most materials reduced to a coarse mix of small granular particles and dispersed evenly across the tornado's damage path. Large, multi-ton steel frame vehicles and farm equipment are often mangled beyond recognition and deposited miles away or reduced entirely to unrecognizable component parts. So, let's get busy turning one of these into a power plant. <laughs> <laughs> I think F- F5 is the category of tornado that's in the movie Twister. So, if you sense. saw the movie Twister, I'm sure it's accurate. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy they did that, because there's no such things in F6 tornado, so it's scientifically accurate. Usually, you would think these B-movies would make an F6, but anyway... Power plant time. The main concept for this one is going to be simply create a large ring that we can use as a turbine to create electrical power. You know, mechanical motion is going to be what makes this one infinitely more practical than my lightning one because you can actually do it. Um, so all that leaves is to see how big a ring we want to make. And it turns out tornadoes get um, big, like 
really scarily big. The widest tornado on record is El Reno, which touched down in Oklahoma in 2013. Any guesses on how wide it was? Um, I really have no scale of tornadoes in general. 1.5 miles. 2.6 miles wide. Eh, I thought I was overshooting, but I clearly... <laughs> you would think. Like, just think, like, that's not even like, a, like, you imagine a funnel, like, you know, that's maybe like 200 feet across, if I imagine like a big funnel. No, 2.6 miles is like a town. It's just so a wall. Is that the bottom of the tornado or the top of the tornado? Like, how do they measure the, the size? The touchdown spots, like the, oh, touchdown the diameter. Spot, okay. So the, you know, the destruction path that it leaves behind. So since it's so big and it's going to be under a lot of stress, I decided to keep our turbine structure short with a height of only 50 feet. So I think if you're making something 2.6 miles long, you can make it 50 feet tall without too many worries and you can reinforce the hell out of it. <laughs> if you have a acting wind speed of 250 miles an hour, that's giving you a pressure of 160 pounds per square foot acting across the whole system. And add up all those areas, and you get a total of 690 million pounds of force acting constantly through our turbine. Do some whole lots of math, convert it up and out into energy, knock off a chunk for an efficiency factor, and it gets us an output of 201.3 megawatt hours. Which doesn't sound like all that much, actually. So this is the point where I started Googling to see where I went wrong, and I stumbled across a man as equally brilliant as I am, who has proposed an actual real-life version of this back in 2008. Canadian engineer Louis McCaud proposed a system that would shoot hot air into a cyclone at the base of a turbine and generate a tornado and harness its power. He called it the Atmospheric Vortex Engine, which is such a cool name, I'm stealing it for mine, so mine is now called the Atmospheric Vortex Engine. Thank you, Louis. He didn't trademark it. His fault. <laughs> Well, he, he proposed it back in 2008, and I haven't seen one yet, so I think it's, uh, I'm not sure if Lewis gets the uh, the trademark there. <laughs> Couple quotes from him that kind of just, like, are, you know, they're not saying the quiet part out loud, but they're coming close. When I looked further into it, I didn't run into anything that was impossible, which is, uh... <laughs> That's an incredible scientist quote. <laughs> <laughs> in regards to, you know, you know, the safety part of it, if it comes, if it came off the base... There would be nothing to sustain the vortex because the hot air wouldn't be there. Where he kind of just acknowledges that, yeah, maybe there is a chance that my tornado would come off the base that I've created for it. <laughs> and then uh, my absolute favorite part of it, which is, um, you know, him explaining why, you know, that we don't see a bunch of all these, uh, is utility companies are risk adverse, he said. They prefer to buy from established vendors. <laughs> which is the most polite way of saying Nobody wants to build my crazy tornado machine. <laughs> I, I like I like the idea that, that you know, in his mind, the reason no one is trying this is just that, like, oh, well, there's already other options. Yeah, this is, yeah, no, one's, well, no one wants to go in my, my bold risk, you know, my bold risky venture. My, you know, bootstrap entrepreneurial spirit here. But that's besides the point. Because his tower, which was 600 meters in diameter and 100 meters tall has almost exactly the same effective surface area as my system does. And he came up with a power output of 200 megawatt hours, which, if you remember, mine was 201.3. So this either validates me or <laughs> proves why energy companies should only buy from established vendors. <laughs> anyway, 200 megawatt hours is enough to actually power a small city. So we're, we're not doing poorly with our system here. And I can actually one-up Lewis because I only counted one ring going around originally. Given that I have a 2.6 miles to play with, I can do basically as many as I want. 
So I went with eight rings spaced about 250 feet apart, kind of concentrically. And so I upped my system to 1,500 megawatt hours. Suck it, Lewis. Mine's better. <laughs> you do have the advantage of being able to control the weather, so. Oh, yeah. So I think I should be winning. Yeah. But I am winning. Just putting that on the record. <laughs> Still counts. <laughs> Still counts. Does this change the world, though? Not really. Um, New York City uses 11,000 megawatt hours of power. Um, so even with our 1,500, we're just, like, making a modest dent there. And we're not even the best power plant. If you look at nuclear power, the largest nuclear power plant in the U.S. generates just shy of 4,000 megawatt hours, which is like triple hours, which kind of, to me, is just kind of like scary a little bit. Now, that when I think about it that way, where, you know, you have this facility, you know, just like the reactors are kind of big, but like not that big. And if it's three times the power of a giant fucking two mile tornado that levels everything in its path and it's like in that contained in that little spot... That's pretty creepy. So basically, I've established that you could do a power plant. It would be fine and good. And I've given myself a new fear of tornadoes and nuclear power in the process. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's healthy, honestly. Yeah. You could always use some more fears. Yeah. It, it, fears keep you alive. They, they keep you away from scary things. Not that I have too much trouble avoiding tornadoes and nuclear power plants day to day. Chris, what did you do? So the question that I want to re-answer was, what if the floor was lava? Um, this is from episode three. It's actually the fifth question we've, we've ever answered on the show uh, back in the early days. And the main, main reason I wanted to revisit this is because the first time we tackled it, we basically didn't really say that the floor was actually lava. We, we kind of just, we answered more like, what if everyone was playing the floor is lava? So like we yeah. just couldn't touch the floor. I mean, you d you did die if you touch the floor in our rules, I believe. Yeah, but... you do die. And I think we did say that it was hot, but we, we didn't really specify how hot it was. And we just kind of hand wavy, it's hot. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kept talking about, like, what if it was actually lava and what would that be like? It You know, and we're like, mm, maybe it just kills it. It probably just kills everybody. And the spear of the thing is, like, the children's game floor is lava. So we didn't actually talk about what if the floor was actually lava. Yeah. Which I think was a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I think, Marcus, you even said, like, one of your friends listened to the episode and he was like, oh, I was expecting you to actually talk about lava. <laughs> but we didn't. I mean, reasonable assumption. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so I want to do that. I'm going to look at what if the floor actually was lava. So what is lava? Lava is basically just molten rock. It's really, really hot rock that's liquidy because it's so hot. And lava is anywhere from... 1300 degrees to 2200 degrees fahrenheit which is obviously hot yeah that's a big number <laughs> yeah now there are these things called lava fields which are basically like they're nearly flat lava flows so that's that basically be what like all the floor everywhere would be is just these really flat lava flows and i actually i, I watched uh an episode of bill nye the science guy for research on this because <laughs> there's a whole <laughs> episode on volcanoes and stuff it's actually pretty fun to watch and in this episode, he's actually walk walking on a lava field because what happens is that there's an insulating skin that forms on top of the layer of lava and it insulates the heat so that you can actually stand on it. And then underneath that insulating skin is the actual flowing lava. So in the episode, he's standing on the skin and he actually breaks the skin with a hammer. Uh, like he pulls at it and it like exposes the actually flowing lava and, and then it like releases all the heat 
from that like that hole that he created. And that was the last episode of Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs> and then it swallowed him. The end. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the earth split in twain, <laughs> dumping Bill Nye into the fires below. Right. So yeah, in reality, um, lava it cools when it reaches the surface and it cool actually cools pretty fast and it hardens. And that's actually how like new land and new geological features form. And the term lava actually does technically still include the solidified rock that forms after it cools off. So in a way, the floor actually is lava. <laughs> if you like look at the rocks and stuff, it is lava. But that's not really in the spirit of the question. We still do want to kind of be in the spirit of the question. So I'm going to say that the lava never cools. It never solidifies it always stays in its molten form and that means that there's no insulating layer that forms so it's basically like what you imagine when you say that the floor is lava you imagine bubbly orange lava everywhere now the first thing i want to do because obviously if you're close to it you would die i want to see what actually happens if you fall into the lava like how would you die we all know you'd die but how (laughs) (laughs) quickly (laughs) immediately maybe not immediately so, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> you wouldn't actually sink into the lava like people do in the movies because um, lava is actually three times more dense than water. So you'd actually float on top of the lava and your skin would boil off. And what that would cause to happen is what's something called the Leidenfrost effect. Now, the Leidenfrost effect is if you imagine like a drop of water on a hot skillet, kind of like skitters around the surface of the skillet. Oh, no. <laughs> now, the reason that happened is because the water is heated so fast that it creates an insulating layer of vapor around it. And this insulating layer prevents the drop from just immediately boiling. And it actually causes the drop of water to hover above the surface instead of making direct contact with the skillet. And then it skitters around on the on the surface so this would happen to your body (laughs) yeah i was i was already mentally replacing the water droplet with my body thank you chris yeah your skin would boil would boil off and it would create vapors and it create an insulating surface or insulating layer and you'd skid around the the lava and it would be fun (laughs) to watch from a distance would it (laughs) it'd be more fun than just watching them sink i think maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i guess there'd be more to see i don't know if i'd want to see like jumping around skin bits (laughs) (laughs) you probably don't even really have to worry about that though because the next thing i looked at was if you could even get close enough to the lava to fall in in the first place so lava contains a lot of dissolved gas in it and when it nears the surface it releases all this gas so it's mostly this gas is mostly water vapor but it also has carbon dioxide sulfur dioxide hydrogen sulfide and um, hydrogen halides so all these gases are going to be like super hot in the air. If you're like anywhere close to the lava at all and you breathe in, your lungs will just vaporize. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's then. good. It's that hot. So you're not going to be able to get close and your, your skin will boil off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will happen I mean, as well. A lot of bad skin images. This uh... Yeah, you were talking earlier about the skin being ripped off by wind and not that not being a good image, but... Volcanic Debarking is going to be my new death metal band name. <laughs> it's a really good name, actually. It is a pretty good name. And because your skin and your blood is is all boiling, this actually creates pressure in your body that builds up in your head and your head would explode. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have... <laughs> I mean, we all knew we were going to die. It's just 
I didn't know there's so many different ways. <laughs> this is one of the few situations where I think your head exploding is actually the least of your problems. <laughs> you can rarely say that. Yeah. There's actually evidence of exploded heads from the site of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. So they do have like tangible evidence of this happening. So that's fun. Cool. <laughs> is it or did they just find they just couldn't find the skull and they just like lost the skull while they were <laughs> doing some party tricks and they're like oh man we lost the skull let's just put some bone bits around to pretend his head exploded and then <laughs> science it away yeah so all this means that you can't really get close to the lava at all so where is like a safe place for us to go the first place i was thinking is like the ocean the ocean would be a safe place because the ocean isn't the floor the ocean has a floor so the ocean floor like way at the bottom of the ocean would be lava but the ocean itself would not be lava. And I don't think the ocean would actually form in reality if all of lava was, was uh, if all the floor is lava, um, because all the water, I think, would just stay in its vapor form. But let's just assume that this happens overnight, so like everything's normal, and then overnight the floor turns into lava. What would happen to the ocean? So I couldn't find any real hard evidence of what would happen, but in my mind, there are two things that could happen. The first thing, the first possibility is that all the water that's in contact with the ocean floor that is now lava vaporizes and all that vapor goes to the surface, goes in the atmosphere and the ocean level drops. And then it just, that just keeps on happening until the, all the ocean is vapor and then the ocean is gone. That situation is not good for us because we, the ocean is our safe place. But the second possibility that I see, again, I don't know how reasonable this is. But I'm going to say, I, I, I feel like it is kind of possible, is that because the ocean floor is completely uniformly lava, uh, and like the contact of the water against lava is all happening uniformly, there will be a layer of water vapor that will form, and it will be like an insulation layer between the water and the lava to keep the, the ocean intact. I don't know if that would actually happen, but maybe. It's def it's definitely one of those things where because we're keeping it in its lava form, it has infinite energy, which is a problem for for uh, physics. Yeah, it's I yeah, <laughs> we're creating infinite amount amount of uh, heat energy, so it doesn't really work in physics. But we're kind of ignoring that. But let's just say for the for the sake of this hypothetical that that insulating layer of water vapor does form and protect the oceans. We still have oceans. That means that we would probably live in the oceans because that's by far the safest place we don't want to go anywhere close to land and the thing is we wouldn't have any more trees because obviously trees would burn up the combustion temperature of wood is 700 degrees and we're way above that so the thing about trees is that they they make oxygen for us so that we can breathe and we need oxygen but in the ocean we have algae and algae is actually pretty good at producing oxygen as well so microalgae is actually responsible for the production of more than 75% of the oxygen that we require. And it's algae is um, up to 400 times more efficient than trees at absorbing carbon dioxide and creating oxygen because it grows faster and it covers more surface area than trees do. Now that's a Bill Nye fact if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually think I learned that from Bill Nye. That was from a different source, but... <laughs> Uh-oh, we can't trust it. <laughs> So this means that we can, even though we don't have trees, we can farm algae. We can create, we can like purposefully grow algae in large amounts just to create oxygen. We can also eat the algae, which is helpful. 
We can eat fish, so we have food. We can collect rainwater, so we have water. We have pretty much everything that we need out in the ocean. So I think that's probably what we're going to do. Um, there was another option that I considered. It was a, actually the first one that I considered. I, I was tempted to try to use the updraft of the lava to like create some sort of like flying city or something because like hot air balloons, some sort of hot air balloon situation. The problem is that it doesn't really work in terms of the way physics works because um, the reason hot air balloons work is because there's a differential in pressure between the air inside the balloon and the air outside of the balloon. But in the case where all the air is, is hot everywhere, there's no pressure differential. Oh, it's just all hot. Yeah, you yeah. just get a really hot air balloon. <laughs> yeah, and it won't fly. It'll just probably burn up and get hotter. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. So I was like, okay, but we still have oceans, so there'll be like an updraft at at the shores, right? Because the ocean is cooler than the land, so there, there'll be airflow. And that is true, um, but the problem is that the airflow will be going towards land. We don't want to go towards land. We want to go away from land. And the other problem is that when lava comes in contact with seawater, specifically salt water, the lava reacts with the salt and the hydrogen in the salt water, and it creates hydrochloric acid. Oh, that's a yeah, that's a good one I heard. <laughs> yeah. So there's evidence of this happening during volcano eruptions where so the lava just flows into the ocean. There are people around. Uh, when that happens and they die because there's like a giant cloud of hydrochloric acid it erodes their skin it erodes their lungs it's not good so we want to stay away from the shores we don't want to go anywhere close to land or the shores so i guess basically our, our life will just be staying in the very middle of the ocean i don't know exactly because we're saying the floors so i guess we can't build buildings this comes into the thing where we have to define what a floor is <laughs> which was surprisingly complicated <laughs> the first time i tried to do it yeah but even if we can't have buildings with floors we can still go on like things that don't have floors like jet skis <laughs> <laughs> we'll live on jet skis <laughs> just piddle around on jet skis farming algae i love it yeah so that's basically where we'll live and i think the most important thing that i learned is that bill Nye the science guy is still entertaining it was great. <laughs> they had a whole parody song that was Don't Go Chasing Lava Flows. It was awesome. That's a pretty good pun right there. Yeah. Ben, what question did you cover? So I looked at uh, a question from episode 26, uh, which is our first Thanksgiving episode. And the question was, what if every meal was Thanksgiving dinner? So I, I went back and listened to part of it. I talked about just how incredibly unhealthy Thanksgiving dinner is. Marcus looked into whether the food supply can even support this. And Chris went into sort of what I want to talk about today, which is um, how much how much time it would take and does, like, scheduling for this possibly work. You want to correct my answer. I want to... I don't... I want to present a, a different interpretation of your answer <laughs> while also talking about how I think your answer was kind of stupid in some places. <laughs> I don't disagree. I mean, we, we put to put it in context of, for those who don't know us too well... Ben, you make your own bread, you make your own pasta last I heard, you make uh, yeah. your own... Tomato sauce, pickles. I cook, well, I guess my wife and I cook the vast majority of our meals. I make my own pita bread now, which is actually very fun to that today. That was good. And then Chris, I believe your stove has been broken f since you moved in and you have not yet bothered to get that situation correct. <laughs> that is correct. And I have not gone, <laughs> since quarantine, I have not gone to the supermarket in like... 
know, five months. <laughs> so we're coming at this question from slightly different angles on amount of cooking we do, I would say. So Chris's results, basically what, what Chris wound up with was was that cooking a Thanksgiving dinner is going to take you three hours and 20 minutes. Because three hours is roughly how long it takes to cook a turkey. And you can cook everything else while the turkey is cooking. And that's how you can sort of do it efficiently. But he decided that you have to cook a Thanksgiving dinner for every meal every day. <laughs> so that's three three-hour and 20-minute cooking sessions per day. Uh, some flaws in this plan. Obviously, it is quite time-intensive. Ten hours is a lot of time. Uh, it's quite wasteful. I feel like cooking an entire dinner for every meal is is going to generate a lot of leftovers that you have to have some way to use. You have to eat it all. The spirit of Thanksgiving, you eat a lot. Well, that feeds into my third point is that you are going to die in like a month. <laughs> thanksgiving dinner is not a particularly healthy meal as long as you don't say like once you eat too much turkey your skin falls off i'm okay (laughs) i as far as i have not found that in my research so i think we're okay i wanted to to find a a slightly more practical um from a time perspective and maybe somewhat more healthy and somewhat a little more variety to it way to to enact this this every meal is thanksgiving dinner uh question so I guess the first question to answer is what makes up a Thanksgiving dinner, uh, which Chris Chris actually defined it in his answer as turkey, mashed potato stuffing, cranberry sauce, butternut squash, which I thought was a weird, little weirdly specific, and pie. I'm going to slightly modify this. I'm going to say that the required things for Thanksgiving dinner are turkey, cranberry sauce, and stuffing. And you also need two sides. I think the sides can be any number of things. I think I got my dishes from like a top dishes list or something. I would I would guess so, yeah. I mean, and, and the sides can be anywhere from like, like, um, you know, ma- mashed roasted potatoes, sweet potatoes, various forms of green bean, corn, Brussels sprouts, a lot of roasted vegetables and a lot of things, a lot of butter in them are kind of the main rules as far as I can tell for Thanksgiving sides. So I think as long as you have those things, that counts as a Thanksgiving dinner, right? So our new rules are... You still do, I'm going to say, have to cook one Thanksgiving dinner per day. You can't, like, make a giant Thanksgiving dinner on Sunday and just eat that the rest of the week. That's bullshit. We're not going to do that. That's way too easy. Meal prep is for quitters. Exactly. And also, like, I'm going to say that you don't have to just, like, because also this would be kind of boring. You're not going to just eat straight leftovers for each meal because, once again, that's kind of boring. But your meal does have to contain that essence of the Thanksgiving dinner. So let's start with dinner. It is the simplest one because we're going to actually do our one Thanksgiving dinner here. If you're cooking for a family, I think you can still do a full turkey. Um, for a lot of people, that's going to be impractical. There are some other options. For like two or three people, you could do a turkey breast. A half breast of a turkey is like two and a half to three pounds of turkey. and only takes like an hour to an hour and a half to roast. That's a lot more manageable on a daily basis, in my opinion, for one person. So like if you were doing this, Chris, you can buy drumsticks. You just get drumsticks. Those roast in like under an hour. It's great. It's I feel easy. like that's cheating. Why? Don't be salty, Chris. Let them finish his answer, then be <laughs> like, salty. Well, well, no, but like, like if you cook, if you cook a full turkey and just eat the drumsticks, how is that different from eating, just cooking a drumstick and eating it with I guess, sides? Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, like I'm just, I'm just making this, you know, I'm making this more practical. I'm making this more, more feasible. Please don't do this. Still, you'll probably still die. It's still very unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> I am too lazy to do that. Yep. Also, that's I figured that that was not a a very. Uh, very a threatening situation for you, Chris. I feel like this is a pretty big <laughs> jump in the other direction with regards to amount of cooking. So yeah, you make your turkey, make some sides. That one's easy. We can sort of get past that. You cook some Thanksgiving dinner. 
It's going to take more time than dinner usually does right now, but it's not insane. You're going to be cooking for like maybe an hour and a half total. That's not too bad. Breakfast. So I have a couple options here, depending on how generous you're feeling with the definition of a turkey dinner. <laughs> so let's go with the stretch first. So if you think about it, a turkey egg is basically a turkey. Oh boy. <laughs> like DNA wise, a turkey egg is everything in a turkey just earlier. So this does bring up a question. Why don't we eat turkey eggs? Like people eat all kinds of eggs, right? Like chicken eggs, obviously. People eat duck eggs, quail eggs, like emu eggs and shit. No one eats turkey eggs. I never eggs. even thought to eat turkey eggs. It never popped into my mind. Right. And well, apparently, so turkey eggs, they're completely edible. They taste pretty much the same as chicken eggs. They're just like a little bit bigger and like the membrane's a little bit thicker, I think, or something. But the problem is that turkeys lay eggs a lot less frequently than other birds. Um, chickens and ducks lay like an egg a day, but turkeys lay at most two a week. And it also takes them a little bit longer to start laying eggs. It's like seven months instead of five months or something. And they cost more to raise than chickens, so it adds up. So no one just really uses turkey eggs for anything. They actually, in the real world, where no one's, you know, everyone's eating not Thanksgiving dinner all the time. They cost like $3 an egg. So why would you do that? <laughs> I guess. I, I did Google it while, while you were talking. And I just love that, like, can you eat turkey eggs? And it's like, the first sentence is, turkey eggs are totally edible. Which can be read in a lot of different ways. It, it really can. I think I saw the same article and I was like, where's this going to go? <laughs> but yeah, so, so technically a turkey egg is basically just, you know, turkey. And then if you think about it, stuffing is pretty much just toast. Like, when you really get down to it. And if you think about it, cranberry sauce and cranberry jam are just the same thing, really. And if you really want to, you can put anything in an omelet, including just like roasted vegetables. So technically... A roasted carrot and sweet potato omelet with toast with cranberry jam is Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, nope. Okay, I thought you might say that. I thought I thought <laughs> now Marcus think, is the one saying you're cheating. I think by this by by the letter of the law, it probably kind of counts, but I understand I understand. I have a backup plan that, that I does, think is <laughs> That does make you wanna find a restaurant that actually makes thanksgiving breakfast because that sounds pretty good honest to god i want to make that meal now because it sounds really tasty yeah like i'm probably gonna do it i want to make a lot of things i actually came up with in this except for one at the end um (laughs) okay that's a tease it is so actual thanksgiving like thanksgiving dinner for breakfast that's not just having leftovers which is also i'm gonna go ahead and put this out here as someone who does this all the time a perfectly viable thing to do the day after thanksgiving is just eat some leftovers we're going to make a hash instead. Hashes are great. It's one of my favorite meals because they're stupid easy. It's just like put stuff in a pan and fry it for a little while. So I found one that actually uses leftover stuffing as the base. So you just take a nice like cast iron pan, put some stuffing in it, put some turkey in it, take whatever leftover vegetables you have, chop those up, throw them in there too, and fry them until they're all good and crispy and eat that. Easy. Super easy. And that is, that is legitimately Thanksgiving dinner for breakfast. Can I argue that one? It's getting close to leftovers, but I do love hashes. So it's, hashes it are really good. So it, it, it is allowed. Hash, hashes are my emergency. Like, oh, I'm going away for the weekend and I have too much shit in my fridge I need to eat. So we're just going to make a giant hash of everything. God, the absolute best thing is the day after you either like buy or make barbecue when you have just like pulled pork and it's like a pulled pork hash. Oh, God. Anyway, I digress. All right. So that's breakfast sorted. Breakfast is pretty easy. Lunch. Also pretty easy. The obvious option is just a turkey sandwich, right? Like, you can just put literally all your Thanksgiving leftovers on bread and eat it. And I frequently do that for Thanksgiving once again. If you don't do that, do it. It's amazing. But I would like to, I would like to 
go a little bit beyond that as well. So what bread is the most like stuffing? Um, I decided that's an onion roll. You've had an onion roll before. It's kind of like a slightly, <laughs> okay. slightly sweet, buttery roll with like dried onions throughout and like on top. It's once again, basically stuffing. Stuffing is just bread with butter and onions and shit. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, come on is, the, is my sentiment there. <laughs> it's... We're, we're, you gotta go with the spirit of the thing, Marcus. We're there. I'm gonna let you, I'm not gonna stop you, Bet. I'm just gonna make my opinions known in between. All right, that's fair. So you, you got your, your leftover turkey from the night before, slap that on there, on your nice onion roll, top it with whatever you want. And because we need something healthy somewhere in this day so we don't just die or, like, never poop again, one of the two, let's do a nice, like, kale salad with, like, your roasted carrots and Brussels sprouts and, like, a nice cranberry vinaigrette. And that's... That's basically Thanksgiving dinner, right? Come on. We're there. <laughs> Come on. I'd be so much more convinced if you didn't end it with... That's like kind of like Thanksgiving dinner, right? Yeah, come on. My my greatest skill is self-sabotage. You should know this by now. <laughs> but I know I know that we're once again still pretty close to to um, Thanksgiving, like just leftovers throughout. So I want a couple more exciting options you can mix in when you're just not feeling the regular Thanksgiving standbys a little bit. That still hit, you know, the spirit of, the, you know, the letter of the law here, I guess. One that I think could maybe, maybe be good, maybe, is I think you can make a pretty good Thanksgiving pizza. I'm pretty sure you can form stuffing into a crust if it's just like you work at it hard enough. And then just spread cranberry sauce on there and then just dump your toppings on there. I think it would actually be pretty, like, surprisingly tasty. It's like a sushi pizza where it's like, okay, this is not... It's not a pizza. A pizza. It's a circle of food with more food on it. Right. What would the... Oh, okay. So the sauce would be gravy. I think it would be either, like a, either straight gravy or straight cranberry sauce or a mixture of both. I'm not sure. I don't know what the right way to do that is. Gravy would be better than cranberry sauce, I think. That's kind of what I was thinking. I had cranberry sauce here, but gravy seems way better. I think you want to incorporate some... I think your, your cranberry sauce is basically like your pineapple on your pizza, right? You need cranberry sauce in, in moderation. I, I think using it as a base for the entire pizza it's is too gonna much cranberry be a sauce. Lot. It's going to be a lot of cranberry sauce. You're right. Now that I think about that, that would be god-awful. So yeah, we're cool with <laughs> oh, gravy. Oh, I love cranberry sauce. You, you ever get those... I'm always a sucker for the those like non-seasonal, the, the Thanksgiving like sandwich yeah, you get at the delis. I like those too. Yeah. And... The local one by my office puts like an F ton of cranberry sauce on the sandwich and I fucking love it. It is pretty <laughs> it's good. so good. It is pretty good. So the other option, um, and this is a real recipe I found that someone suggested that you actually put in, in your body, is a recipe I found called Bill Whitmarsh's Cranberry Pasta Sauce Over Angel Hair, Angel Hair Pasta. And as far as I can tell, this is basically just you take some cranberries and cook them with garlic and then toss it with, with angel hair. And that's basically it. So is this the one you didn't want to make? I really don't. I'm going to give you guys a picture here because this is the picture that comes. This is not like someone made it and then put this picture up as like evidence. This is the picture on the recipe. This is apparently the best it can look. And I'm not going to lie. This What this looks like to me is is just a plate of angel hair that has like, I mean, it just it's just cranberries. Like that's <laughs> that's pretty much it. This looks like what your mom makes for the halloween theme party right and she's like oh yeah the cranberries are eyeballs yeah right and it's you just know like, it's, it's eyeballs and like brains Ooh. And, <laughs> and you look at it and you're like hey this is probably like a 90 percent good meal that's going to be ruined by the 10 percent of quote-unquote fun that was added to it right yeah so this one looks 
not gonna lie absolutely horrendous but technically you could do it and have like turkey meatballs with it or something and that's kind of thanksgiving dinner don't it looks really bad i'm not gonna are you lie. saying that are you saying that pasta is technically stuffing no i didn't actually want to incorporate stuffing into this one because i'm already too disgusted by this meal just okay. looking at it to begin with pasta is not stuffing i'm not gonna make that leap <laughs> although i'm surprised <laughs> if you think about it no i won't <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make that. I think if I were, if I were going to try to bullshit my way into this, I would say you would do like spiralize a butternut squash and make noodles out of that, and have like a stuffing crumble or something. Yeah, something like that. You can make it work. It's my it's my it's my stuffing pasta sheets. Exactly, my lasagna sheets. Could could you make a Thanksgiving lasagna? You could do that. You could you could layer stuffing. I think you could do it. Layer stuffing, turkey, cranberry, gravy, and veggies. I don't think it'd be a lasagna. It'd just be a casserole. I mean, it would be. It would be. A, it would be a casserole. But you could call it a lasagna, and people would go, "Ah, <laughs> ah they'd like it more." <laughs> yeah, and people go, and people go, "Huh?" And you go, "Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> it's basically Thanksgiving dinner." And then you get kicked out of your in-laws. It's great. Um, anyway, I think that's my answer. Mostly is that I. I Really, I mostly just wanted to say that I think it's ridiculous for Chris to say that you should make an entire Thanksgiving dinner for every meal every day. And I wanted to give any kind of viable alternative, which I think I kind of did. Why, are you scared that someone actually took my advice? You know what, Chris? I'm not scared of that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because my memory of Chris's Thanksgiving answer was like, okay, so these beans take like half an hour and plus the water has to boil so i'm gonna do that so that's half hour then we get on to the next step and we'll add another 20 minutes onto that and then and like it, like it just everything was like just done in sequence and i remember being like this is not how you would cook <laughs> no i'm pretty sure i had had simultaneous cooking yeah he, he yeah definitely... no like when when ben said that the turkey takes three and a half hours and everything's done during that it made it, you know i was like okay that's much better than how i remember it i'm I remember also being like pretty sure that doesn't work i think that was also the other thing it was, it was i was like i don't think it actually works because like the turkey is gonna be in the oven and 95 percent of the things that you cook at thanksgiving get cooked in the oven we didn't say how many ovens you have <laughs> that you know that is true i mean if the floor was lava you have infinite up you have all the ovens you need you just have to wait it is way easier to cook your thanksgiving dinner on a, flo- a lava floor well maybe not easier <laughs> okay okay <laughs> quicker Fair. yes quicker yes guys i think we i think we did it. i think we fixed our previous episodes which means we get to move on to our would you rather which is gonna be fresh stuff fresh stuff fresh stuff <laughs> fresh stuff it's also funny because we're intentionally using old questions for us yeah. so it's not even true <laughs> guys it turned out i lied about the fresh stuff <laughs> We opened up. We opened up the Would You Rather, and it was a little stinky because it's actually old. <laughs> yeah, it's been in here for a while. It's very musty. So for this, for this Would You Rather, we decided to take two of our previous questions again, keeping our throwback theme, and do see which one you would prefer was the hypothetical that was true in your life. Yeah, because we didn't we didn't do Would You Rather's back then, so we can turn these into Would You Rather's. Yeah, that's why we're doing it. It all makes perfect <laughs> sense. Nobody looked too close. Uh, ben. Hmm. Would you rather have roller skates permanently attached to your feet or have the floor always be ice? So I think the important distinction to make here is that the roller skates are only for you and the floor being ice is for everyone. Yeah, it's like all the floors. It's not like just the floor of the room you're in. It's like everybody everywhere. 
the definition of floor that we've come up with many times. Right. <laughs> and that we decided to ignore yes. this time. The, the non-confusing, super easy to explain definition of what a floor is. <laughs> we won't bother to reiterate because I'm sure you know it. Because we certainly understand it anyway to this question. Is the bottom of a car ice? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> we, will, we, could, we could go back and debate for another hour. We could do a whole other episode of what a floor is. Right. Yeah, our next, our next episode is what if we knew what a floor was? What we, an absurd we, we, we need a professional. We need to bring in a guest who's like a florist. <laughs> I hate you. All right. Anyway, the important thing about the roller skates is that, okay, well, personally, I don't know how to roller skate. So that's a pretty bad example. But if you did know how to roller skate, that is actually a somewhat useful means of transportation. Whereas the ice is always going to suck. Unless you have ice skates. Yeah, our, um, that's fair. Are okay. you allowed to wear stuff? Because like, you could just wear cleats, right? Yeah. I think it still sucks. Like, like it's not like you put on cleats and it's just as easy as walking on non-ice floor. That's true. Right? Like, it still definitely has an impact. Also, it's cold. It's, it's cold. cold AF. We have so, the opposite problem as the, wa- the lava. We have an infinite heat sink. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a bit less extreme in that instead of being 2,000 degrees away from our current temperature, it's like, you know, 50. <laughs> Think about how fast your hot air balloons would go up. <laughs> I mean, you can, heat, you can heat a room that has an ice floor. Like, you, if you go to a hockey game, it's a little chilly in there because they're trying to keep the ice frozen. But if you don't have to worry about that, you can just crank the heat up a bit. Yeah, that's true. So I'm trying to imagine the, the actions that would involve, like, precision, like stairs. I feel like roller skates are actually better for stairs. Um, imagine you have cleats, though. Yeah, cleats would help a lot with stairs. Cleats would help a lot with stairs. Or you just ski downstairs. I mean, down isn't really the problem. Yeah, down is, yeah. I guess down is dangerous. (laughs) Down is way more dangerous than up. I mean, up can become down pretty quickly. (laughs) I guess with, with ice, the floor is ice, you have a lot more flexibility with what you wear on your feet so you can you can change your foot situation yeah you can wear skis you can wear cleats you can wear ice skates so a big problem i'm seeing with roller skates is that you can no longer drive a car yeah i think we actually addressed that when we were answering the full question before yeah but if the floor is ice you can figure out some way to have car-like vehicles that everyone can use like snowmobile type situation I'm pretty sure you could get a custom car that would have a different pedal. Like, I think they have those for people who aren't, you know, who are disabled. Mm, yeah, I mean, like, it would like just bolt your foot in. I mean, basically. how would you modify it? You actually just lock your foot onto the pedal, basically. No, you just put, you just turn the, the, you just switch the acceleration to a hand control somewhere. Oh, that works too. All right, fair. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't use your legs. Well, or fine. You just get, or you can just get some custom pedals that make it practical to use your rollerblade feet yeah i don't think it'd be that difficult it doesn't actually we didn't say you can't double shoe we did say that in the parameters of the question when we entered in the episode are we gonna say you you can can. now you would need some big shoes you got some big shoes to fill (laughs) (laughs) and i think we also said you can't like glue the wheels yeah that makes sense yeah now let's keep let's keep it that you are on roller skates all the time right yeah we're not we're not getting around that way also, are, we, are they roller skates or roller blades? I.e., is it two and two or four in a row? I, I would say skates. Blades is much harder because you can stand on skates. 
You can stand on blades. You can st- you stand you on both. Can. It's just a lot like it's it's gonna take a lot more out of you. I think you're more maneuverable with blades if you actually know how to use them. I, I would actually probably if I had to pick this for my real life, I'd probably pick blades. That feels very short sighted. <laughs> you want all the stability you can get, dudes. I don't feel like I'm more stable though. Because you, you, you kind of, I mean, like, two-leg tripod on blades, and the skates, you have to, like, have your legs, your feet be flat, which is not a good... It's like a tricycle versus a bicycle. Well, right, but a tricycle is more stable than a bicycle, like, that's... Yeah, but you can, you're, you can go faster on a bike, like, and you don't really have balance issues if you know how to ride a bike. Right, but I mean, if you, if, okay, if, I guess if you plan on skating at all times, you have a point, but I'd prefer to not all, literally always be skating. <laughs> Like, what if you go to the grocery store and you're standing in line? What are you going to do? I mean, if you're in skates instead of blades, it does make stairs probably even harder because now you need to keep both sets, like both rows of wheels on the step. But you have so much you have more. A wider. But you have, you have more points of contact. Like, I feel like, I feel like you're making it way harder with blades. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've only rollerbladed. I've never had the roller skates, I don't think. I don't have a lot of experience with either. I'd be pretty comfortable getting around in rollerblades. I feel like it's very short-sighted. Have you ever have you ever tried to go upstairs with rollerblades? Yeah, you just you just go sideways. Yeah. See, I feel like it'd be harder to go sideways on roller skates. But but why? <laughs> because then, like the edge. So you don't fall down the stairs. So you don't put your wheels in the direction of the stairs. No, 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 anyway. no, 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 I, no, I, I get the sideways thing, but it, like it going, you can do the exact same thing in roller skates as roller blades. Yeah, but on roller skates, the, the wheels are on the sides, not in the middle, so it's not going to line up with the stair, if if it's like narrow stairs. Somehow I don't think the half inch of right. wheel position is going to make the difference on whether we want to have roller, I don't even think the skates or blades debate is going to decide whether we want the floor to be ice or if we want to have them on our feet. Right. Oh yeah, I forgot about the ice situation. New would you rather? Would you rather have roller skates time. or roller blades? Apparently, was enough for us to talk about. <laughs> all right, so there's there's one there's other big the other thing about the floor always being ice is that uh, and we we kind of briefly touched on it, but one is societal and one is just you. Like, do you want to be the odd one out in this roller skate things, or do you want to kind of misery loves company it and everybody's on the floor is always ice mode i think if it if it's societal if we have the the floor is ice then society will come up with solutions for that right you won't have to deal with it on your own which is helpful like smarter people that are smarter than me will come up with situations uh solutions do we have anything that was good about the the floor always being ice no looking at our one words there wasn't so. anything very particularly good about it what were our one words uh, I did windy days. I remember I calculated how much wind you would need to get a dumpster going, which was not a lot of wind. It was not very, that was not a very good one. Oh, I did daily life. You did daily life, which could have been anything. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben just, Ben's one word is ice is cold. <laughs> <laughs> I think I talked about the fact that, that if the ice never melts, it's an, it is an infinite. I brought up the infinite heat sink thing. Mm. Ice is cold is not the best way to describe that, but we persevere. So... <laughs> I feel like the societal thing is a big point in favor of going with Thor always being ice. Yeah, I kind of agree. See, I like society functioning. I might go. I might use that and go rollerblade, <laughs> roller skates. Well, society will still function. I'll just be different. Yeah, it'll be different. We'll come up with ways to function. Don't you want to see like a like a snowmobile bus? That'd be cool. <laughs> the snowmobile bus. I'm sure someone's done turned a school bus into a snowmobile. There's yeah. There's no way that hasn't happened. Oh man, that's gonna look so badass. I'm looking at it right now. 
Uh, these are all just people who move their snowmobiles with school buses, which is also pretty cool. Oh, wait, here's one. Oh, God, that's a snow coach? That's a thing? <gasps> what? It's just a thing already. It's just a thing already. <laughs> ben, you sent us this picture of, like, this, like... Oh, no, this is a Wikipedia article. There's better ones. Vehicles. Hold on. Here's a better... Here's a better image. It's like it's like a two-year-old <laughs> drew a tank. Yeah, the the images in the actual thing are better. Oh, holy crap! That other one is very cool. Yeah, yeah. It turns out the the first image in the Wikipedia article <laughs> is is not necessarily the best example of the form. And it's basically just a a bus with giant wheels. Yeah, the giant treads. Yeah, which is cool. That's very cool. Um. All right. So. Ben, would you rather have roller skates or have the floor always be ice? I'll go with ice floor. I just think that we're, we can, humans are an ingenious bunch. We'll figure it out. I don't want to do it on my own. Chris? I agree. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be the thing that ruins society. So I'm going to go with roller skates. Mostly, and by roller skates, I mean roller blades. Also, I kind of just want a roller blade. I don't think roller blade is the right move, dude. I really, like, versus skates, I mean. I just don't, <laughs> I feel like you're missing... <laughs> yeah i'm not going to convince you clearly we'll do but... that some other time would you rather have roller skates or roller blades <laughs> god why are roller blades still so expensive who's even buying them apparently they actually had a weird burst of resurgence because of quarantine because it's like a thing you can do outdoors and 100 fragging dollars for roller blades well, not even good ones I, you can get one with three big wheels for 359 dollars it seems excessive it's the roller blade maxim too bad Anyway, that's our shopping advice, is rollerblades are expensive. If you want something less expensive, you can go to www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals and click that become a patron button. It's going to cost you 100, 1,360th of that $360 rollerblade because it is just but $1. That was a confusing way to say it. <laughs> that's why I clarified at the end for people who didn't want to do the math. It's $1. $1, become a patron, you get access to our behind-the-scenes episodes where we talk about making the show, we go over the previous questions, we have some chilled, laid-back chats, we do some experimenting um, with stuff for the podcast on there as well. So lots of cool things, go check it out, patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals. In any case, we will see you guys next week when we answer the following question. Which Nicktoon would win in a fight? Round two.